Thank you so much, Suzanne, for the introduction and for the, to the organizers for uh, the invitation to be here. Um, so, yeah, let's see. To my disclosure. So uh, I thought that we could break this into three components. Um, talking about MRD testing analytics, uh, MRD clinical analytics, and finally, is it a prognostic or predictive test? And these topics can seem dry, but when, when we're looking at a diagnostic test, we really have to know uh, about all of these components. So with respect to the analytics, we'll talk about specificity, pre-analytics, sensitivity, applicability, and the impact of a heterogeneous marrow. So in the top part of this slide, um, you, you see the usual um, test positive, negative, disease present or absent. And one of the things I wanted to call our attention to is that in a lot of clinical trials, we are doing MRD testing, but we're not sampling all patients. We're only testing patients that are in suspected CR. If it's that good a test, why is it that in this study, for example, there were 31 patients who were uh, flow negative but weren't in CR? And so that should give us pause if this test is so good. At the bottom are also pre-analytics. So before we even start doing the MRD testing, um, do you need a diagnostic sample for next-gen sequencing? You do to identify the initial clone, not as required for next-gen flow. Fresh sample cell viability is really important. There was a study by the Spanish group that showed that within 24 hours of a bone marrow aspirate, you can lose viability by up to 70%. And so when we start to do large studies, particularly multi-center in the United States, if you're sending a specimen from Kansas in the wintertime, and by the time it gets to the lab, it's delayed because of a storm, how is that going to impact the assay? Next-gen sequencing, not as important. What about the, uh, the quality of the specimen? Uh, the very fact that these tests have not have been validated for the peripheral blood tells us that if you have a bone marrow that's very hemodilute, you're not going to get accurate results. And so we really need to do good quality control. Every report should have some kind of language saying this is a high quality specimen. Now let's say those things are passed and we actually get the test done. Sensitivity really matters. You heard about the Dana-Farber study from multiple people, the IFM collaboration. This slide shows the uh, sensitivity, and as you can see, next-gen flow did predict for better outcomes in MRD-negative patients. However, it's important to mention of the 163 MRD-negative patients, half were positive by next-gen sequencing. So showing the importance of sensitivity. So if we had been making decisions based on MRD-negativity by flow, we might have been mistreating patients. And so sensitivity really matters, and you need this 10 to the minus sixth. And the question is, when you have all of those pre-analytic techniques, hemodilute, poor quality specimen, are we guaranteed that every single specimen is meeting this benchmark? And you can see uh, this actually shows the three patients, uh, these three groups who were MRD negative by flow actually were positive by uh, next-gen sequencing. So this leads to the applicability of patients. Um, what is the limit of detection by next-gen flow? One of the largest samples of next-gen flow, so we're talking about the 10-color, uh, very well-validated test. This is from the Spanish group. About 12% of samples were, did not meet the level of detection. So again, we're now cutting off, not only did we have the pre-analytic techniques, now we have, even when the specimen got to the patient, uh, got to the lab, not every patient was available to 10 to the minus sixth. For next-gen sequencing, again, the Dana-Farber IFM study, you need to have that initial clone, and then you need to repeat to, to have to identify the clone and then do later um, testing. 8% of patients did not have an uh, ident identification clone. So again, these patients are unavailable by next-gen sequencing as well. So we're talking about 10% in both arms. 
What about the uh, persistent, the importance of marrow heterogeneity? We talk a lot about MRD negativity in leukemias, um, and, and that makes sense, CML, AML, these are primarily bone marrow uh, blood-borne disorders, but we know that myeloma is very different. You can have osseous disease. This is a study from the uh, Arkansas group which shows that, yes, MRD negative by uh, do well, but if you're MRD negative and shown in the gray bar, but you have positive imaging, you do worse. So it means that when we look at MRD, we can't just be looking at the bone marrow aspirate. We have to be cognizant of the marrow uh, of the osseous disease. And that's for that reason, we do need to have uh, appropriately so the IMWG criteria for uh, response by MRD does include MRD negative by imaging. Because if somebody is radiologically positive, what does it matter what the marrow shows? And I think this highlights, as uh, Dr. Langren pointed out, that we really need to ideally move to blood-based testing. But again, now we introduce a lot more of those analytic issues uh, with the blood. Next-gen flow, um, very obviously uh, a lot of work being done globally on this, um, but I would call your attention to the fact that we have the CD38 epitope as part of the antigens. There are numerous CD38 antibodies in development and approved, daratumumab, isatexumab, TAC079, each of these is going to have a slightly CD38 different epitope. Now you see at the bottom that they're using an epitope, that multi-epitope CD38 that's not blocked, but we have very little, we have no data. All the daratumumab studies for which you have MRD negativity have all been done by next-gen sequencing. So we need a lot more data if we're going to be starting to use next-gen flow in the era of monoclonal antibodies that could affect any of these antigens shown here. So this summarizes, I think, we have the pre-analytic techniques, and then we have the analytic issues, how long does it take to get these done, flow to uh, commendable in that globally we have cell characterization, sensitivity we discussed, applicability only about 90% in both arms. The impact of the marrow is very important, and that's where the PET or uh, radio, uh, MRIs really stand out. Um, and clonal heterogeneity. So you heard about you know, the evolution this morning of genomic uh, alterations in myeloma cells. Flow can't identify clonal evolution, some data that next-gen sequencing can. And lastly, um, the standardization, and these are perhaps the techniques can be very good, but we really need to have standardized tests. So if we're going to be doing this in practice, can you get a report as a practicing physician and be confident that your patient met the pre-analytic issues, the analytic issues, and that you can really act on this? And so we, we need to have this uh, really well validated and standardized. Availability, uh, flow is quite available. Uh, those of you who are visiting from out of state might be surprised to know that even though um, the next-gen sequencing is available in the U.S., not in New York State, we, do not, we are not allowed to send next-gen sequencing. Even in clinical trials, we've been for, forbidden from sending it uh, because of insur lack of insurance reimbursement. So, uh, and the cost, of course, is listed here at the bottom. If we're going to spend money on these tests, we better be sure that it's going to change our patient's management. So we'll come back to that. So moving to the clinical analytics. So Let's say you have a good test, you're testing everybody, uh, it got to the lab in time, you got good results, there's no marrow involvement. Let's now talk about what we do with that patient. Let's look, about, look, look at the data about MRD negativity and positivity, the importance of timing and reproducibility, what does it mean to have an MGUS profile, what does it mean to have high-risk disease, and the immune profile. So this is from um, Dr. Munchi's uh, paper in JAMA, and again, I think you've seen this slide. Uh, obviously, MRD negative does better than positive, but I would like to call your attention to two facts. The patients who are MRD negative do not have a flat line here. They are still dying of myeloma, so MRD negativity does not equal a plateau. And conversely, the patients who are MRD positive do not plummet downward and die. 
And so we have to be mindful that these tests are not 100%. Yes, the curves separate, but this is not an end-all and be-all. And to that point, um, this is the Spanish group showing multi-flow data, uh, the next-gen flow data, showing six patients who relapsed even though they were MRD negative, typically by um, osseous disease. What about the importance of timing? Well, you, it really does matter when you test. Let's say you had a patient who's post-transplant, they're negative, but then later samples become positive. And again, is it the conversion or is it, could it have been a sampling issue? So are there any data regarding this topic? Actually, there are. So in this study, um, where they looked at the about 400 patients who were MRD negative at six months post-transplant, what happens to these patients when you repeat the marrow testing at six months? Interestingly, 10% of patients who were MRD negative converted to positive. Again, I would caution, is it really a conversion or was the first test inaccurate and had sampling issues? But let's say it was an accurate test, they converted to positive. These patients are shown in this, um, this blue line. They were pre-MRD pre negative, and at six months it became positive, and you see that their curve now drops. So had we, been, had we been making decisions here at this baseline time point, and perhaps discontinued therapy, would we have been doing right by that patient, who then, six months later, without any change in therapy, now becomes positive? It's for that reason that the IMWG criteria also have a component of sustained MRD negativity. It's not just a single time point. We have to maintain that. And Joe showed this slide that when you treat patients, um, and you, have, you get rid of these clones, what is it that's left? Are these patients who are going to relapse early? Are they going to have stable disease? Do they need treatment? What treatment? In other words, are the clones that are left, are they high-risk disease or are they MGUS clones? You could argue those are very different patient populations and we would manage them differently. And we all have this con concept, especially from the leukemia, that we need to eradicate every tumor cell and that's really important. But what about those patients? We've all had them. They've had MGUS or smoldering. They become active disease and you treat them. But their M-spike never goes away. Is that a big deal? These MGUS clones that are persistent may not necessarily be a, dip, a bad thing. And uh, again, the Spanish group has even shown that when you look at the uh, profile of these patients, those of patients who have MGUS-like signature uh, in non-responding, non-relaxing active patients, those who are myeloma-like profile, they don't do well. Those who have an MGUS-like profile, they did quite well. So if we're going to base everything on MRD, and it really not is just about the residual disease, but what kind of residual disease, this is one example of how that matters. What about high-risk disease? So the initial papers that were published, this is one example in JCO, showed that even though um, you, uh, the MRD negativity patients do better, you can see that adverse prognostics, so MRD negative in blue, still did worse than standard risk. Now we do have this recent uh, determination study update, but again, it's really important to look at the numbers and how many patients are being sampled, because we're only sampling uh, the patients that are suspected in CRs. So it really goes back to when we look at clinical trials, what was your denominator of patients and how many are getting repeat testing? Another example from Dr. Munchi's work showing that if your overall survival, if your standard risk and MRD negative is good, but high risk, it still separates. If you're MRD uh, positive, you do the worst, but even if you're MRD negative and high risk, uh, you still do worse than standard risk patients. And this uh, just highlights that we need to really know what's happening um, in the residual disease. What is the biology of the MRD positivity? It's not all the same. If patients are left with residual disease, these may be the initial clone, they have a different uh, profile at cycle nine, and what you're left with at MRD state has different genom genomic profile, transcriptome profile, and phenotype. So this isn't the same myeloma, and we really need to figure out what that is. Um, and 
This slide is, I think, also interesting. We often are just talking about the tumor. What about the rest of the bone marrow microenvironment? And that's one of the advantages of flow is you can look at not just the disease question, but the marrow question. And this is a very interesting paper that shows that if you're MRD positive, uh, but you have a favorable immune profile that's shown here in green, those patients do very well. And it's not the same as everybody else who had MRD positivity with a poor immune profile. So I think what I'm trying to tell you is that, yes, MRD status is an important part of disease control, but so is risk, so is GEP, immune response, maintenance therapy, the health of the patient, malignant clonal potential, and the microenvironment. And when we just focus on one component, we're missing the big picture. And I'd like to conclude by talking about whether this MRD is a prognostic or a predictive test. And I remember when I was in med school many years ago, we had this, we, we reviewed the JAMA article, which is published back in 2001. How to use a diagnostic test and what questions we should ask before employing it. So question number one, will the results of this test help me in caring for my patients? Will the results change my management? I think you've seen that MRD negativity is not a cure. It's not the only predictor of a good long-term outcome. And the key question which was posed in this debate, if somebody's MRD negative, do we have data that treatment can be stopped or de-intensified? No. No prospective randomized clinical trial data support that. If you're MRD positive, should standard therapy be changed or intensified? Again, we have no data. If you're MRD negative and you convert to positive, should the treatment be changed? No data. Second, will the reproducibility of this test and its interpretation be satisfactory in my setting? Not necessarily. We talked about all of those pre-analytic uh, issues, the analytic issues. It's really not clear. And lastly, will patients be better off as a result of the test? Also unclear. So to summarize, I think if we're going to use MRD, which we have to remind ourselves this is an invasive procedure, and if we have no data to alter the length of induction, transplant, consolidation, or maintenance, is this test ready for prime time? I would argue no. And with that, thank you. I'll stop. Thank you.